Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Good morning. Recorded live. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a good morning, no matter who says it, huh? Um, well, we're still looking at First John and uh, dealing with the issue of uh, God's love and uh, the faith, righteousness versus evil, uh, to use a word that we've defined a couple of times already today, and I like that. We might get it right. And, you know, how, how that may it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, have things straightened out? Yeah. Yeah. Be able to know which way to go? Amen. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, there's lots of uh, good direction in God's Word. And I was thinking about these epistles. We're going to be in the third chapter, uh, verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> but let me say a couple things before we start in the text that I was thinking about. And I can't stop thinking about this. But the epistles of the New Testament were not written to bring any honor or recognition to the apostles or the first century evangelists that wrote them. That wasn't the point. Now we read many times that of the apostolic authority within the church as it was founded, um, and, and that is true. They, they had that authority for its establishment and for the instruction and for the, all the things that Christ gave them to do to give to the church for their benefit. Now, the evangelists uh, had really no congregational authority, but were commanded to speak the precise words that they had heard or had been taught by the apostles themselves. Matter of fact, in 2 Timothy, uh, the second chapter, we read this. This is the apostle Paul writing to Timothy, the evangelist. This is a personal note for him, but we can take it. Those that are evangelists, those that teach, need to understand this. Thou, therefore, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I think that's pretty clear. That is the mandate of the apostles of Christ to the evangelists of the first century, the second century, the third century. Is this the 21st century? It's still there. It's still in there. It has not dissolved from the page of that Bible. You need to remember that. So if you hear something opposed to the apostolic doctrine, you'll know that it does not come from them. Uh, we don't come up with a better idea 
than the apostles of Christ had for the church in the beginning. I mean, we might paint our walls a better color, but as far as those things not being real important, uh, we're talking about the things that are. So what we read as written to others a long, long time ago was never written to enhance the position of the writer but to benefit the reader in many ways. And those ways are known best to the Lord himself. But we can, we can speculate. So, I think we can eliminate any spirit of self-serving by the writers, the, the uh, scribes, if you will, of, of the Bible, the apostles, the evangelists, and those that wrote. Because every word was delivered, I believe, in love and the spirit of family well-being for the children of God. Then, I think because of that, everyone that is in Christ can really learn from these words with an understanding of where they came from. Remember the source for our scripture, uh, the source for the sublime words, if you will, to throw in a churchy word, is from heaven. It's from the throne of God. That's the, that's the origin of these things, from the mind of God, like everything else that is. So, if we remember that these things are written for, written for our well-being, for the well-being of those that read it the first time all the way through the centuries, and it was done so uh, in love and a real spirit of family. We know what family is. A family, if it's, if it's a family of people, no matter where they're at, typically, even if they don't have a lot of understanding, they still want to take care of each other. They don't want another family member to be misled in anything. So, I have a lot of comfort in that. I was very privileged to live in a family such as that, to be brought up and surrounded by others in the same circumstance. I didn't appreciate it at the point at the time, but I was very privileged, extremely privileged. So, to those that have been given much, much is expected. You've been given much, much is expected. In 1 John 3, 9, we'll start with that, that, for that one verse because <laughs> it says a lot and I want to talk about it. It explains itself through Scripture, but let's read it. I'm looking at it in the American Standard. Whosoever is begotten of God doeth no sin because his seed abideth in him. And he cannot sin because he is begotten of God. Wow. You know, my first thought is I want to be there. That's where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. But I realize that's a, that's a difficult place to be, isn't it? Well, let, let's look at Jesus. To me, Jesus defines this 
this definition that's being said here. Jesus of Nazareth. He's, he's the example here. I think it applies to him perfectly. A true definition. He is one born out of God. The only begotten son, right? That's what the Bible says. Having God within him and sinning not. Isn't that what the New Testament teaches us? Even the old. Concerning Messiah, that he knew he knew to sin not before the circumstance arose. Now that's the difference one difference in the Messiah. Yes. Um, the issue of sin here, isn't it? That's what's being spoke about. And the idea is um, this, this abiding of God. Now, what about us that are in Christ? Those that have been brought into the family of God through obeying the gospel in all points. How do we fit into this statement of sinlessness? Big question. I'm going to tell you what I think. You don't have to agree with me. Just don't throw anything. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But I remember back in uh, in the Gospel of John. John, the first chapter. First chapter of John. Some of my favorite passages. John 1, 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13. We're talking about uh, here uh, the idea of Jesus of Nazareth coming into the world through Mary, but being the Son of God. But here in verse 13, uh, well, let, let's go to 12. But as many as received him, that is, have received Christ Jesus, to them... To them gave he the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'll just read verse 14 too. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Oh, we got a lot of begottens in here, beginning with Jesus. But you see, it looks like to me that those that are in Christ are are a, a part of God. They're in God. They're in Christ. You know, how many times did Jesus say, I and the Father are one. Uh, I am in the Father and he is in me. If you're in Christ, guess where you're at? I think you can find yourself in verse 9 here of 1 John 3. But there's, but there's real boundaries on your life here, aren't there? But let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 6. These are the verses I use. Uh that come to my mind when I think of this, starting with the first verse. And I'll read until I got my point across. That is in my mind. 
but I, I think you'll approve. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, that's dealing with the question that was in chapter 5. God forbid, we who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? Or are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death. Just like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in this, in this likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be in bondage to sin, for he that hath died is justified from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death no more hath dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died unto sin once, but the life that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Even so, reckon you also yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. It is. Amen. Friends, I, I really think that if we are truly in Christ, a Christian lives in a very special place, apart from sin. With your citizenship, if you will, you can have your national pride no matter where you're at, but your citizenship, you see, that means your home, where your, your origin is in heaven above. That's what the Bible teaches. And you are truly transformed from darkness to light. We read that in the first chapter, didn't we, of 1 John. From death to life, I believe that's Colossians, should we not take all this very seriously? That, that, that's my idea. This is serious business, isn't it? This is real. This is just as much alive as you feel when you wake up in the morning. Now, maybe some of you don't feel. Maybe, maybe that comes gradual. But this is more alive than that. This is more serious than that. Because all that waking up in the morning feeling bad is not going to do you any good unless you have real life, unless you are come out of darkness into light, from death to life. You know, I wish I'd have done a much better job teaching this particular subject in the past. Because I can see where I didn't stress it as much as it really should be stressed. It's more serious than I took it. I took it serious, but I didn't take it as serious as I should. And I should have lived it as seriously as I expounded it. 
We try. We try to. I know. We have a spirit. Jesus talked about how his his apostles had the will to do it, but they were weak in a number of ways, in the flesh. You know when you're very, very, very tired, caused by a lot of anguish, a lot of depression, it's hard to keep your eyes open. You ever been there? Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me... Seriousness can be boiled down to another thing, sincerity. And C.S. Lewis says concerning sincerity. Listen to this. We are not so grossly ignorant of human nature as not to know that perception may be very sincere, where practice is very imperfect. I think we're kind of there if we admit it. But, you know, practice makes perfect. Practice. Practice what's right. That's what I like about Philippians chapter 4, where it gives all the things that we should be rejoicing about, the things that we should allow our minds and ourselves to be thinking about, think on these things. You know, if you'll do that, it'll change your life. It's hard to do, though. It's hard to do with the, the dis- situations of life in general. But here's the point. When it comes to a verse like this, it sounds pretty heavy-duty, pretty harsh. But how can we expect the apostles' teaching to be anything less than the full expression of any subject? I mean the fullness of it. This is the highest form, I think, of faith and practice as we use those words. It's a lifelong endeavor. It's not just enough to get by. You see, enough, just enough to get by, there's a lot of religion out there that's just enough to get by in their estimation. But here's the point. You want to be on your deathbed hoping that just enough to get by was, was enough? I don't. I want to deal with the original article, with the full expression, and try to live it. The second point, though, is that it seems like one thing leads to another, doesn't it? One thing leads to another. And if we look at verses 10 and 11, I think we can get the idea here. Um, Let's read it. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whatsoever doeth, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message which you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now there's a lot in there. And you know, 1 John is, I don't know how many times he makes, he brings this idea up about not loving your brother as it being a real separation between you and any hope you have of eternity with God? 
I get the point. Do you? I get the point. Now, <laughs> you know, the verse starts this, like this. Um, it starts in this, in this. In other words, if we look back to verse 9, if you're the person and you're living in verse 9, if that's you, then this applies, okay? This understanding applies. You will be clearly seen as a child of God. That's where we should be. So, now, he makes the other point too, doesn't he? The contrast position. The contrast position. You see? Yeah, you, you can, you'll be manifest, clearly seen as children of God and the children of the devil. By what? Yeah, by not being involved in that, you see. See, if you're, if you're the person in verse 9, you're not going to be seen as a child of the devil. Now, <laughs> then he, uh, he makes it very clear that our deeds are, are those things that makes things very clear to see. By the way, that idea from the beginning that we have in the next verse, uh, verse 11, from the beginning. Well, back in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, uh, we have Jesus giving, uh, talking about the beginning of this thinking uh, concerning uh, that we should love one another. And this is an abbreviation of what he said, actually. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. That's what, that's what the apostle says. And you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is that, and this seems hard to say, but not sinning is not enough. Do you get that? You know, there's some people that I've heard long, lengthy debates on living a day without sinning. Uh, and I, I think you can do it. Uh, and I think it's not even that hard, really. But on the other hand, what else are you doing? You know? So um, I think we find the remedy again. To avoid sinning is to be very, very busy doing the works of righteousness. Um, and it's not an option for the child of God. Righteous, righteous living, righteous things that we do, say, and exude. And it's not just enough to not sin. I don't even, I, I don't know. Uh, the idea of not sinning or making an effort... Uh, sometimes could get us into trouble. But remember, the goal of the saints of God is that we should love one another and more, as we read in the Gospel of John, in a couple of places, as Christ loved us. See, that's the goal. That's the measure, the standard of love one another. Can you do it? 
the way that Christ did for us. Like Paul said, when I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That concept is, that's real. That's going beyond. Can, can you do that? Can you, can you model that in your own life with people around you? I think we need to try, but it's not that easy, I, I will admit. John fifteen twelve says that. And uh, I won't read that verse. I'm just telling you, this, these are words of Christ that he said to the apostles, and believe me, the days of their life, they never forgot this. They never forgot this, a new commandment I give to you. Because that new commandment, within that commandment, took all of the good living that man can do and put it into one thing. It's all there. So we, we end here in the, in the next two verses, 12 and 13. We've got to read both because they fit together. With the idea of righteousness versus evil. And what's evil? Yeah, the absence of good. Yeah. And, and no matter where you look for the definition, we, we use the word evil, but evil means a lot of things to, to people of the world. Uh, they consider evil this and evil that. But evil is really just the, the uh, degenerates uh, degenerating from the original virtue or purpose that a thing was created for. See, you were created to serve God, to have fellowship with God, to to be uh, a lover of God. If you're not doing that, you're evil. In in the English word, it's not the words that we find in the original language. So uh, we, we need to understand that. But righteousness is is work. It's is things that we do. It, it's the way we are. Um, and, you know, it's righteous in a lot of things. Believing that there is a God and that he actually exists, that's a righteous thought. Telling somebody else is a very righteous thought. Let's look at verse uh, 12, and, um, 12 and 13. Because the apostle gives us this illustration. Not as Cain was of the evil one, that is the devil, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? He him. Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, brethren, verse 13, if the world hateth you. Oh, those two fit together and you need to understand it. The apostle takes his readers all the way back to man's first conflict regarding the two sons of Adam. One was honoring and one was dishonoring their God in the way that they presented their sacrifices. That's how the narrative goes. And God gave Cain every chance that he could to turn his thinking around. But what happened? What happened when when Cain was guilty of hating his, the righteous actions of his brother, Abel. 
What was his response? Cain killed Abel. We hear that a lot. Cain killed Abel. Is this not a serious business? What was it that caused the, the murder? Cain was envious of his brother and his righteous deeds towards God. So much so that this was his response. So when I say we need to take this serious, this is how serious it is. This what this is what happens to people. And and that's why uh John writes, Why do you marvel that the world hates you? Yeah, you know, I was just reading this morning that to be a Christian in AD sixty, let's say, you lived in the Roman Empire under the, the, the rule of the Roman Empire. And the head of that empire was a man that said he was God. All right? Every one of them said they were God. So they have got a little different idea of God than I do. But nonetheless, they were God, and the Christian did not recognize them as God. So you, what was the Christian in that day? He was known as an atheist. And that wasn't a real kind word then. Matter of fact, it could cost you your life in the Roman Empire. And it cost many lives in the Roman Empire. Now, because righteous acts will cause you trouble in this world, and I believe that it still does, does this answer any questions that you might have about your day-to-day activities in your life in general? This is going to happen. And, you know, it's easy to slide into this comfort zone of living in this world where everybody likes me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you know, you can't, you can't paint it with that big brush. Everybody doesn't dislike or like you. But it seems like the more you try to do right, the more detractors that you'll come across. <laughs> so, I think the same d- dynamic that John's talking about here within the church in the first century is alive and well today. But I don't think that we know it a lot of times. We forget it, don't we? Not me. Let's not forget it. Let's not forget it. Now, the way to prove it to yourself is to make sure you're busy about doing the things of God about the things that are pleasing to him. And see what comes your way. Yes. I've got a couple of questions here because I didn't want to be rude. It can't be said, your lovely wife. Uh-huh. Are you done? Yeah. I'll, I'll answer it if I can quickly. Well, that that's true. I'm glad you said that. How was Abel's plan? Well, he was murdered by his brother. I know, but how? How did he murder him? He struck him. He was struck. With what? Well, I don't know. We don't know, do we? No. Doesn't really say, does it? He, he, he punched him out. 
No. What what does it take? Not too much, really. It takes what it takes. Yeah. And everyone has different abilities in that way. Those things pleasing God. Acts those pleasing God. Those are acts that have no righteousness in them. Is it being obedient, disobedient, yes or no? Yes. That's my thesis, of course. Okay, so we're on the same page. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Uh, Woodbury, or can I just call you? You can just call me Neil Woodbury. Neil Woodbury. All right. And your lovely wife, Thank you. <laughs> All right. Can we pray for Grandpa Bob? That would be my, my invitation. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we, we have prayed for him today. Uh, right now, I'm going to ask that we have our song of invitation. Then I'll close in prayer this morning. <clears throat> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.